0: So welcome to the uh, first episode in Leadership in Construction. I'm your host, Michael. And today I have an absolute fantastic guest for you. Um, I'm really pleased that she's agreed to uh, be the first guest on the show. Uh, I first met our guest uh, when she worked at Colas um, and we visited the Falkland Islands together to inspect pavement at the Mount Pleasant Airfield, uh, which was some resurfacing works which were completed back in 2011. Since then our professional paths have crossed uh, many times uh, throughout the airfield uh, industry. So at Dublin airports so and runway resurfacing uh, and at Cambridge airport uh, when, where uh, she worked for Lagan Construction at the time. Now she owns her own business and she's a consultant to the construction industry. Uh, and to me, I think, you know, she's a true inspiration. And um, so I'd like to welcome Brandy Davy. Thank you.
1: Hi Michael. Thank you. It's a very um, overwhelming introduction.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Brandy, I'd like to sort of start off by um, um, asking, how did you get into construction? What led you into uh, coming into the construction industry?
1: Um, I think like most people, I I got into it by accident. I actually completed a master's degree in uh, chemical engineering at university. Um, What that taught me was about process, um, doing things as efficiently as possible, left to right thinking, if you like, a huge um, focus on things like health and safety as you can imagine with um, things like Piper Alpha and what have you that had happened in the past. So I applied for jobs when I'd completed my degree and I got offered a couple of different ones and the one that caught my eye was with Lepage. I went on a site visit to a project on the M1 and um, after the HR guy said to me we think you'd do well in contracting. I. Took it from there really, and I was fortunate enough to work with a project manager who saw potential in me, and he um, got the company, if you like, to sponsor me through a further masters, which was in construction management. So that then brought my academic qualifications in line with um, the job that I was doing at the time. So I started on that M1 project um, initially as, if you like, a, a graduate role where I uh, did a little bit of observation, and then I started to shadow different. Um, positions on site. One of the ones I did enjoy because of the focus on health and safety was um, working alongside the health and safety advisor at the time and a big part of that was essentially going out observing what was going on, delivering inductions and um, reviewing health and safety documentation and I have a a really happy memory of that time. We have many happy memories um, particularly um, playing darts at about six seven o'clock in the evening and then um, we had, uh, we were doing a specific job on a bridge using the Gumco Commander concrete slip form machine. And uh, we had 30 Russian bridge engineers come over to the site to have a look at this machine. And um, I was given the job of inducting them. I think it was a bit of a short straw type job, but I remember literally standing up in front of 30 Russians giving the induction and their translator, me giving the, and you must not do this. And this is what needs to happen is you would with an induction. And the translator mm-hmm. going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> essentially having a, a one-word response to what I'd said so um, a lot of happy memories from those first sort of early days of working oh, in construction brilliant yeah
0: Um. so in just in terms of university then was that always part-time or was it or do you go to university full-time to do those no it was there
1: full-time actually I started at Loughborough um to do my master's in chemical engineering
0: mm. i did um
1: two years at uni a year working in the nuclear industry as my um year out placement and then when i went back we had to do a six month placement as part of our um master's so i went over to new zealand for six months oh, wow. and i worked at the university of otago um undertaking some health and safety reviews they only just implemented at that point in their health and safety legislation and Uh, Particularly with respect to cost and what have you. Mm -hmm. So I was over in New Zealand for six months doing that Then I came back and did my final master's year. Um, The construction management was a two-year part-time course And it um, unfortunately coincided with me becoming a sub-agent And as I'm sure you can well imagine every time we had a a module or a deadline to meet We were also setting up a new project or had lots of deadlines at work as well. So it's quite challenging actually, but you know, it was great that they gave me the opportunity to do it and, and you know I, I i guess responded in kind by doing it to the best of my ability so yeah
0: fantastic and so uh, how did you come from uh, going from health and safety side of things to then uh, project management and and almost where you've got to today because it seems like a tr- fantastic trans- transition
1: yeah i mean i am um, you know at the end of the day i was an engineer and i mm. <laughs> funnily enough this is about leadership at the time the project manager um, that I work with um, he'd said to me what do you think you want to do and I said, mm. like, well do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure you know obviously it's, a, it's a, a wide range in industry construction there are many things that I could do and his response really was bearing in mind at the time I was supporting the health and safety um, advisor is that what I wanted to do because I was seemingly good at it so, well um, I'm not sure I don't think it really is what I want to do so we made a concerted effort to put me out on site with um, the engineers at the time and to put me out with the civil's form and so that I could really get a bit of an understanding of what the different roles were on the site. Yeah. And um, it very quickly um, made me realise that I didn't want to get pigeonholed into one category. So as a response to that I started to work through in management and I think, as I say, they could see in me that I was confident, I was outgoing Mm. and I wasn't afraid to say, I'll have a go at that. You know, I've always been that sort of person, really, where I'm able to give things a try and to make decisions based on the information I've gotten. I very quickly sort of turned my hand to that in what I was doing on the M1 at that particular time. So, Mm. yeah.
0: So that that person that questioned, is, is health and safety what you want to do? and uh, gave you the opportunity to look at other other areas. Is that an yeah. important aspect to leadership, do you think? Is, is... I,
1: think it, I think it's a really important aspect, yeah. It's, it's so easy when you find somebody that's good at something to say, actually, it's easy now for them to continue to do that. Mm. And whilst it suits the business, and mm. it possibly suits the person at that particular time as well, I think if I'd have stayed in health and safety, there's a chance I would have left the industry, because I'm not sure it would have um, suited me technically. Um, I I am an engineer um, essentially so when I project manage I enjoy the problem solving side of things. Yes health and safety still forms a huge part of that role as a project manager because you do still have to do things like review risk assessments and method statements, you have to issue permits, you have to ensure that site processes and procedures are followed, that CDM is met and all the rest of it. But I think from a technical perspective I do enjoy the problem solving side of things as well. So i'm not sure that had i just stayed in that one role whilst it would have suited me and the company at the time that it would have suited me long term and i potentially would have ended up making a move into something different anyway so yeah i think i think letting people at an early stage in their career mm. try these different things makes a huge difference to um essentially what you're going to get out of that person and the value of that employee
0: that's brilliant and in that in that conversation in that exchange where you sort decided it wasn't really what you want to do f- forever yeah i guess you have to uh, go into a safe space with that individual to be open enough to say actually i want to go want to experience other things because uh, a lot of people would probably feel like the correct answer because this person's my manager is yeah yeah i love it i've got to do it yeah yeah rather than okay. having the confidence to sort of say so i guess you have to trust the person that they're not gonna um you know, take advantage of that and they're going to actually give the opportunities. So I, I take yeah, it that's...
1: Yeah, I, I think you're quite right. And, and, you know, I think an aspect of my character is probably that I, I am happy to challenge, mm. whether or not all young engineers or, or young managers in the same sort of position are comfortable with that level of being able to challenge the manager. It is a different story. And of course, having somebody who is open to those discussions and who, I guess, doesn't put the fear of God into you when you knock on their office door, mm. um, means that you are able to have those conversations with them quite openly so yeah
0: that's good so sort of like an open door sort not non-threatening approach sort of thing
1: very yeah, good yeah
0: and so what what did you do then after Lafarge and uh, uh you worked for Colas for some time
1: I did yeah I was with Lafarge La, La <laughs> um, La for just shy of five years and then um I got sent down to RAF Norfolk by them and that began my career in aviation mm-hmm. essentially I um, took on a project to uh, redo a taxiway and um, it was absolutely brilliant. I had such a great time delivering that project. It was such a good learning curve. I really enjoyed different specifications that you used. I met some wonderful people working on that project. And um, just after that, um, I guess it was as the recession was hitting in about 2007. So Mm. the typical work that I'd been doing with Lafarge, the big highways projects and that sort of thing, they started to tail off and so um, as you would you start to have a look around and see what else is out there and that's when i joined colas as a um, airfield project manager so i remember my first day at colas and walking in the door and collecting my uh, ticket for the ferry to the isle of man driving straight back out the building with my mobile (laughs) phone and my laptop and basically disappearing to the isle of man for three months to go in and deliver an airfield project so it was a, a really interesting period actually working for colas was such a such an enjoyable experience. Mm. You know, we saw so much of the world as part oh, of what yeah.
0: we were doing. I found that working in the aviation industry, you do you get to get to different parts. I would have never gone to the Falklands or Ascension Islands yeah. for any other reason for, than for that. So it does get, open up the doors for sure. Um, yeah. And how did you find the difference between working on major highway projects to then going to, to airports, both from a from the technical side of things, but also from a sort of management leadership? Is the differences in terms of that?
1: Yeah, I think um, some of the key differences that I noted were among client. At the time, I was working holding for the contracts. Obviously, now I've done a little bit of client-side work as well. And the, the key differences for me was in, in what your client was asking for. When you work on a highways project, they turn up maybe once every two weeks for a progress meeting, as long as yeah. you're meeting your targets and your, your program. They're not that interested. There's a lot more involvement from an airport perspective. Obviously, the risk profile is much higher if something goes wrong. Um, and have serious consequences. And the disruption um, that leads to things like liquidated damages, cost for delays and what have you, if you're late off the runway or off a a taxiway project are significant. So you go into it as a result a lot more organized. Um, Mm. I found that um, my natural uh, engineering, if you like process engineering efficiencies, that left to right logical thinking really helped. It enabled me to be very organized in the way that I looked at delivering what the client wanted. Um, and in the airfield you had to really demonstrate that a lot more so whilst you might have done it on a highway project you wouldn't necessarily have documented it all or it wouldn't have been as formal whereas on an airfield project a lot of that was very formal in the way that you went about things like planning your night you would have a schedule that showed this is what we're doing and when we're doing it if we haven't done it on time this is who we'll contact and so there was a lot more um, detail and organization around what we we're doing I mean I, re- I remember um, being out on the taxiways in the Alaman, we were completing a specific piece of work in front of the main access to the apron. The airport reopened, I think it was at 6 or 6.30, so we had to be away by 5.30, we had to check for FOD, All of those good things. I was out on site all night with the guys, and at about two in the morning, um, the planer broke down, um, right in front of the main access to the apron. <laughs> and the, um, the, there wasn't another access to the apron, just that one. and. Uh, the plane weighs 48 tons, so there's nothing on the site that will move it. Um, at that point, you then start to think, how am I going to get rid of this? Of course, you can't think about it at that point. You have, you have to have thought about it a long time before. So mm, okay. we had a crane company on standby who would then bring in their vehicle-mounted crane and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot more contingency planning when you work in wow. airports. Yeah. So there's a lot more to think about, really. Yeah.
0: Mm. And in terms of that extra client involvement, um, you know, how is how is your leadership having to adapt to that change in uh, in environment in terms of in terms of the client?
1: Well, the, the, because the client needs are so much um, at the fore in what you're doing, you have to be able to listen to what they want and understand what their specific concerns are. Obviously, you have to do that on any project with an airport because they are much more on the ground with you and you see them a lot more, and they have a lot more representatives. You have to be really conscious of that in everything that you do and of course that isn't just you because the project isn't delivered just by one person it's delivered by your whole team so from a leadership perspective the way that you communicate um your plan your program the way that you're going to deliver your project is really important too because the last thing you need is somebody then going outside and whilst they may be doing it for their best intentions, because people always do do things with the best intentions behind them, they may not realise the bigger picture, they may not realise that actually the client doesn't want it done that way, there's a specific way that they want it doing, mm. and therefore, if we don't do it that way, you, you know, you're going to get, um, be it penalties or it's going to ruin your relationship, I mean, Relationships are everything in the way Mm. that we deliver our work, they are critical um, in leadership and that can be relationships with clients, suppliers, with the people that you work with out on site. It really is important to maintain those relationships and Mm. so being able to communicate the client's message effectively to your site team is really important.
0: So is is that the key? Is is it communication then to building relationships? yeah
1: I, I think communications are really it's you know it's I, I wouldn't say overused because of how important it is but what is communication you know um i find a lot in the industry at the moment people have this attitude of oh well i've sent an email so you know um somebody once quoted it to me as a, a fire and forget mentality you mm. know so you can ask somebody has that been done and the response will be um, yeah yeah i sent an email but they don't know the person's received it, they don't know if the person's on holiday, they haven't had a positive response back, they don't know if the email was actually understood. So, you know, the importance of um, verbal communication and being able to see somebody when you you talk to them, be it on Zoom or in person and um, being able to document what's been discussed accurately as well. You know, there's there's no harm in having a conversation with somebody on the phone and then backing up what's been said on the email just to make sure that everybody really understands what's Mm. going on. You know, you can't forget that when you're working in major projects like this, there's a contract involved. And that there is a requirement to deliver things a certain way. And so Mm. if things move outside of that contract, it's important to record them so that everybody can follow the process. Mm. You know, that, that to me is an important aspect of contracting.
0: So the human element first in terms of the interactions between people and then backing it up because the contract says you've got to record it somewhere sort of thing
1: yeah and and making sure that people don't get the backup as a result i mean i've worked Mm. on many projects where we've had to send an early warning and we've had quantity surveyors and others basically come and say stop sending early ones because they they see them as a reflection like as a negative thing almost and so i try and try and tell people early that I see them as a positive thing because they're, yeah. a, they're a mechanism to communicate risk. They're a mechanism mm. to say that this could cause us a problem. It doesn't mean it will cause a problem, but it makes sure people are aware. And so, you know, that's that's just one of the contract processes that can be used, um, yeah. but that unfortunately, some people perceive to be negative when, you know, in reality, I think if they're framed the correct way, they don't have to be.
0: Absolutely, I'm sure I've, I've met the same sort of challenges myself in terms of early warnings as well. and. Yeah. Uh, um, how would you how would you communicate that then in terms of this isn't anything bad this is positive how would you communicate that usually
1: um, i forewarn, that's an important one so okay. it's all well and good me saying i'm sending you an early warning or i'm going to get an early warning mm. start it with a phone call explain yeah. the situation go through it in detail you know before you get to an early warning stage typically in an aviation environment especially you're going to be having discussions on site pretty much every day, certainly once a week as a minimum. So, you know, you can bring them up formally in that scenario initially and say, you know, I'm gonna send you an early warning for this, but it's just to follow the process. And I would very much frame it in the process side of things because that's where it comes from. It's not, I'm writing you an early warning because I want to, Mm. don't take it personally. This is just part of the contract. And so explaining that to people, um, it's actually amazing when you get to site how many construction personnel that aren't specifically in leadership or the commercial side of things actually have no real knowledge of the NEC process Mm, Um, and I I say NEC because I've worked under a lot of NEC contracts but you know you're working the same with FIDIC and others as well but it's it's amazing how many don't have an understanding that that's the process that has to be used and then Mm. you know will get a phone call off their commercial manager saying, I've had this early warning about this, what's this all about? And then, you know, you've instantly got this negative vibe. Whereas if you make that initial forewarned phone call conversation and say, listen, this is what's happening. I've got to document it and you are going to get it. You tend to um, mm. move away from those negative connotations. Absolutely.
0: Um, I, I think I draw from experience in that in terms of, I, I, I know you've worked with lagging construction. And yes. uh, I fairly recently worked with them at uh, Belfast Airport, and yes. we had a really good project. The collaboration was fantastic, and the communication yes. was brilliant. Project manager on the site was fantastic. And um, in your time at, at Lagan, um, did you find that is, is that the sort of um, a, a sort of organisational thing that they promote, or is it um, how does that work with Lagan? Is it? Oh, approach?
1: I think Lagan are probably one of the most collaborative contractors. You know, I I still um, speak regularly with the the team at Lagan, one way or another, um, you know, following them on LinkedIn and that sort of thing, because actually, of all the companies I've worked for, they're very open, they're a very friendly bunch, they're very um, family-oriented, because what they do is aviation, they understand some of the pressures um, on their team, so they really give the site team autonomy to make sure the job is managed correctly. And as a result of that, you get a much better um, team set up. The, mm-hmm. the team is set up so so much better as a result of it. And then things like the collaboration, the time taken to understand the project, that real um, confirmation of the client needs. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, that, that thing that I can have, of have been able to sit down with a client and um, open up a rapport with them in terms of what they want and how they're going to deliver it, I think it's really important. And of course, they've got the experience. You know, when you've got a uh, a contractor that's got that level of experience and is able to deliver exactly what the client needs right first time, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I sound like I'm, I don't know, writing an advert for Lagan here, but <laughs> they I've, I've worked with a lot of different contractors yeah, yeah. and Lagan really are an exceptional bunch now. They're not ginormous, they're not a huge contractor. They do a lot of things in-house which obviously means that they can respond very quickly should there be a problem mm. and um, that does help the collaboration, you know, it maintains relationships because essentially you're working for one company and you find that so little now when you're working on these sorts of projects because they are done by large principal contractors who maybe only carry a small amount of their own managerial staff and then bring in supply chain for... Yeah specific tasks civils etc etc you know yeah. and that's 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 the industry i think mm. you know on the whole typically now that is yeah. seems to be you know how it's going
0: it's an interesting point really because i think i uh, f- from having i primarily work as project manager mostly on the client side and yeah. um when you work with a good set of managers but a lot of the work is sort of maybe uh, subcontracted Sometimes I find is there that connection? Is there that streamline of um, the workflow? And uh, from a management, uh, from a project manager's perspective, how would you manage that? How would you, in terms of leadership styles and um, being able to uh, pull everybody together to to make it seamless? Because sometimes you you have to bring in more subcontractors, size of project, location, that kind of thing. What would be your advice on that?
1: Well, I. Um probably have quite a good example for that um, I was working on the m23 earlier this year with the smart motorway project uh, I was working for aggregate industries and we were a subcontractor supplier to Kia and we were specializing in delivery of the asphalt surfacing so a big part of what we were doing was if you like being that subcontractor so that link whereby you're talking to your principal contractor about what they need they are then coordinating the civils teams, if you like, and coming back down. A big part of making sure that that project worked, um, and it it was um, tricky to coordinate because the project was running 24 hours. There was a day shift, a night shift, working long hours as you'd expect. Um, A big part of that was the coordination meetings. So where we were working in Central Reserve, we had uh, drainage contractors ahead of us, and then we had um, slip form barrier contractors behind us. So it was coordinating things like where are the traffic management accesses needing to be and understanding the constraints on that. So where the concrete works would be, needed to be um, a kilometre away from where we were so that they had safe access and we had safe egress from the M23, we're working in the Central Reserve. So, you know, safety is obviously very critical in what we're doing and being able to, first of all, understand your own constraints. Second of all, have this understanding that Others around you also need to work on the site and understand their constraints and then propose a plan that means you can meet those. And of course, working for somebody like Kia, their job is to coordinate all of that and to make sure that that happens. Now we we got to the point from a surfacing perspective and you know, going back into the leadership element of that where we had to bring in additional surfacing gangs um, sprays. We had eight gangs working at one point um, and actually Tarmac came on board as well to deliver around 10,000 tonne of the material because otherwise we wouldn't hit the deadline date. They, mm-hmm. they were working directly for Kia and so all of a sudden you've gone from maybe managing one or two gangs and the people that that involves to managing, if you like, almost a business. You've got, I think it was up to 120 people on site every night. Um, we were delivering um, just over 2,000 tonne of material so then you are starting to look at vehicle movements, making sure that they get to the right place. The vehicles are often subcontracted, you're looking at supply chain for um, things like spray tankers for technicians and Mm -hmm. you know you've gone from maybe one or two gangs, you've multiplied that by four and you then have to manage that so is everybody available, have they all been contacted, do they know which gang they're working with and we developed a system uh, alongside my sub-agent Arti Limbachia who I might add has been nominated for apprentice of the year um, the highways award she works for aggregate industries um we worked together to develop a system whereby she did a sheet for each of the gangs that said this is where you're working this is who you're with this is your sprayer driver this is your sweeper driver this is who will bring you water when you need it this is who will bring you fuel when you need it this is your technician so she made it very clear and outlined that to the guys and one other sort of element of that on this particular job that worked well for us was setting up a whatsapp group okay um which i think is quite a, a quite a modern thing you know it's a new trend <laughs> if you like that sort yeah. of every project has where yeah. um, where we have a whatsapp group that essentially says this this at the other and actually we found it was absolutely critical in communicating what we needed between the day and the night shift because it meant the night shift could take photos that you then didn't have the issues modern phones take photographs at around four megabytes a piece. if you attach five of those to an email it won't send a lot of company email addresses can't receive yeah, them yeah. if you send them in whatsapp you know that your project manager has them it's a really simple way of communicating to say mm. we had this problem last night here's a photograph of it here's an, a brief explanation and then you can deal with that quite quickly rather than you know someone's taken a photo and they might forget to send it or you don't have the right evidence or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, So we found that that actually was really critical to getting information across quickly, which when um, you're trying to deliver, and I I think we beat the record, aggregate industry's record, we delivered 52,000 tonne of asphalt in March, and we delivered the four lanes of the Smart Motorway for the 31st of March, which was the plan. You know, you can imagine how um, intense and high speed that environment is. Yeah. so having that information at your fingertips and knowing that there could be an impact as soon as you wake up so that you can start to deal with it was really important to delivering that
0: mm, fantastic i mean it sounds like um crystal clear communication and open communication so that you're yeah. all in it together all working together but it, it, it making these who you're working with and where's this information coming from really clear sounds like it really is a winner
1: yeah absolutely i mean don't don't get me wrong like, i'm probably much the same as most managers that work in a site environment where sometimes the stress gets to you and you lose your head or, you know, people do things that aren't quite right and you sort of sit like that frustrated going, why have you done it like that you knew you weren't supposed to? And unfortunately these things happen and recognizing in construction that it's not always going to be perfect, you know, that's, it's the nature of what we do. You're dealing with a lot of people, you're dealing with a lot of machinery, your site conditions aren't always what you expect them to be and whilst it can be frustrating, as a leader, it's trying to ensure that you don't vent your frustrations on your team,
0: yeah. such that
1: they're then too scared to come and talk to you if you like. And you know, That's I would true. say I've certainly been guilty of that in the past, where you know I've, I've I wear my heart on my sleeve. I think it's fair to say, and I've I've certainly been guilty of um, you know screaming out loud in the office and going ah, and so it's it's then is- underlining that and basically going around the room saying, right, I'm making a brewy once <laughs> so that everyone knows you know lines under it let's move forward yeah
0: okay so uh, to that that sounds like self-awareness is important but very also, much so yeah but also you know having that you know that time as well to to, to if you are pent up with frustration just to, to release it and to, you know not not directed too much at anybody but just in general
1: yeah. yeah i think that's important yeah and it's understanding when you're getting yourself into a position um, and being able to say, do you know what, I'm not comfortable in this position. How am I going to manage myself? Mm. Um, you know, things are stressful. You do, you don't get a lot of sleep when you're doing these sorts of projects. You can be on site. I mean, I think some of my longest shifts have been up to 19, 20 hours. You know, it, there's no industry probably other than trainee doctors that works in the same way as that. Mm. And it's it being able to manage that in yourself and say, do you know what, I'm no good to anybody just now. It'd be mm. much better if I took myself away for an hour and came back when I'm in a better frame of mind because yeah. actually your, your efficiency what you're trying to do your focus it all falls at the wayside when you're feeling that way. Mm,
0: so self-leadership in a, in yeah. a, in a way managing yeah, yourself. It's so it, is the differences then to, to sort of leadership um, from working primarily site-based which is what, what I believe you are you're mostly site-based and, and to sort yeah. of being office-based um, because even working in an office, sometimes communication, even with the people around you can be tough, which is yeah. sounds bizarre, but it is. Is there anything that you can advise on in terms of best ways of, of communicating effectively? So you mentioned WhatsApp group, is there anything else?
1: Um, I think we we in the aviation industry follow a really pro- strict process where we do things like a daily briefing. Um, something that I do um, often for myself, but it works for, um, the team that work at the moment i'm at cambridge airport at the moment working with the project management team uh, we have a daily catch-up um, but i also have a board in the office that i essentially update mostly on a weekly basis occasionally it falls by the wayside so, but mostly on a weekly basis which um it enables me to prioritize what um, needs to be delivered what needs to be focused on that week and by mm-hmm. having it on a board it means that it's available for us to view as well obviously okay. there's not so many people around and about the office at the moment so the daily catch-up on on teams meeting that we do is really important okay. to make sure that people understand what's going on and you know as you say I'm site based so I've been doing quite a bit of client side work recently and a big part of that has been the planning around getting projects to the ground so that could be anything from um, reviewing tenders, assisting with CDM information, it can be looking at um, what a contractor is planning and reviewing if that's best for the airport down to things like once the projects are on site supervising works as they happen and um, completing noise monitoring activities to make sure that we're compliant with what we said we would do to the local authority and that sort of thing so i think at the moment i've got that sort of varied role where i'm site-based and office-based mm-hmm. and i mean as silly as it sounds it can be as um, as frustrating as knowing which shoes to wear on the day <laughs> depending <laughs> on, on, yeah, on, what, yeah. on what hat you're wearing if you like you know mm. so today mm. I'm going to be site based I need to make sure I've got my boots on yeah, and, uh, yeah. and, that, and that kind of thing but um, being able to communicate with a range of people and trying um, I guess uh, client side leadership as opposed to you know office based leadership as opposed to site based leadership mm. on site there's a very clear hierarchy very mm. clear Typically, you have a project manager, a site agent, a sub agent, a general foreman, an engineer, etc. So there's a very clear hierarchy. You know, I'd almost compare it, having worked on various, you know, military projects, RF projects, to yeah. that same sort of military hierarchy. If your project manager is asking you to do something, typically people will go, "No problem, I'll do it right away," mm. and and so and so it progresses. You know, when you're working on. Um, you know, client side, admin side, you don't have that same level of hierarchy, um, you need to influence more so you don't have that same um, level of authority to say this is what I would like to be done mm. and then typically someone goes away and does it, you need to influence more and, and um, I, I, I don't know, would you say have a softer approach? Probably, yeah. I'm probably a slightly different character in the office than I am on site. I certainly get more northern when I get out into science, <laughs> a few more swear words thrown in, but I'll be honest, that's <laughs> probably quite specific to my character. I'm probably, probably much softer when I'm in an office environment and mind my manners a little bit more, if you
0: like. So. Sure. sure. So have you got any advice for that then, in terms of being in the office and having to do a lot more uh, persuasion and uh, that kind of thing?
1: Again, it's arming yourself with as much knowledge as you possibly can. It's mm-hmm. um, going into meetings prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, my boss at the moment is absolutely brilliant. He, before every meeting, um, tries to take 30 minutes or so to essentially know what he's going in to talk about. Mm-hmm. He has agenda. um has the information that he needs, he opens documents that he needs on his computer or prints them out so he's got them in front of him so that he's um, fully armed with the knowledge before he goes in. Now that isn't always possible in the modern world because people plan meetings back to back, you don't always have time to go into a meeting fully prepared Um, and if you're not fully prepared I think it's fair to put your hand up and say I need a bit of time on that one, I'll come back to you. Uh, and that's something that I've learned. I mean, I remember getting a, a telling off from one of my directors, um, probably around the time of the Forbes project, which was essentially you replied to that email in three minutes. Yeah. And it was quite a, I can't remember the detail, but it's quite a long email So you replied to that in three minutes. You don't always have to be available. You don't always have to immediately respond. You can go back and say, I need some time to think about this. And as silly as it sounds, Michael, it never occurred to me.
0: Mm. No, I'm as the same, of, yeah. yeah, I've had that far, same conversation as as with people. Yeah. it was,
1: I've got to reply, I've got to be available, yeah. I've got to tell the client what we're doing, you
0: know? And that's a big risk right now, you know, um, everybody's uh, email, everybody's on Teams and you say WhatsApp. Yeah. It's it's easy to send off a one very, very quickly and uh, not to take a step back and just take a breather, think about what's actually been asked and uh, yeah, I, I tend to sometimes write out emails in frustration, but don't send <laughs> yeah. it get my frustration yeah, exactly. out <laughs> yeah. sleep on it and then come back with a you know a professional response <laughs>
1: yeah yeah take some of the words
0: out here yeah. <laughs> you know yeah a, a, you know a thought out well responded um you know and take the time to actually understand the situation that's brilliant yeah. so what i mean I, I asked the question so what sort of three words would you think best describes leadership or key leadership items um <laughs>
1: listening Listening's Listening is important. Whether that's to your workforce, venting a frustration, it's understanding why it's frustrating them. It's understanding if there's anything you can do to help.
0: And mm-hmm. um,
1: so, if you like, not paying lip service to concerns, and that that goes from, you know, your workforce out on site to your management team who are delivering the project with you and for you, and then up the line to your managers that you're reporting to, and then across to your client side, if you like, as well. And I think that actually sits whether you're on the client or the contractor side of the fence. So Understanding. Listening. Yeah,
0: yeah listening, listening to understand as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I'd say, um, and this was always a, a, a point of conflict but in a very positive way when I work with Lagan, is challenging. So not being afraid to challenge what's being proposed. Um, we were encouraged um, at Lagan to critically review in a positive way what was being presented so if somebody said this is the only thing that can be done looking at it and saying well is it and having a real appreciation for alternatives and um, other ways of delivering what was being asked and being able to actually have that discussion Mm. with anybody and anybody be able to have that discussion with you And my director at the time uh, said that I was the most argumentative project manager he'd ever worked with. And my response was, no, I'm not. (laughs) Which was uh, much to our amusement. But again, it was in a really positive way. You know, our our argument back with our director regularly when he said, why can't you all just agree with me was, well? You know, do you just want a series of yes men working for you? Because if you do, you've employed the wrong team. And Mm. we we were able then to... um, really explore positively different ways of resolving situations and actually you get a much um, better relationship with your team as well it means that they're able to come and open your door and say hey i've had an idea and i mean we documented innovation when we did the cambridge runway project Mm -hmm. and part of the documentation of that innovation was around um ideas that had been come up with by the teams on site and looking at what they'd saved us not just commercially but also from a health safety environment and quality perspective mm. and it was unbelievable actually when you went down the list to see what the the resourcefulness the technical experience and and the ideas that were coming from our guys on site where i mean one one particular one i remember the civils foreman at the time we were putting in deep drainage well I say deep, it was fairly deep um and part of what he had to do with bench dig to make sure that the trench was um, supported and safe mm-hmm. and he suggested at the time that in the bench dig we actually placed the ducting so that we didn't have to do an additional excavation and of course it worked absolutely perfectly because it followed that alignment anyway albeit slightly offset so mm-hmm. we moved the alignment slightly yes it cost a little bit of additional cable but the time saved and um, the mess saved, we were Safety. crossing the grass runway. Yeah. Exactly. When you look at the, the benefits of that proposal as a cost mm. to the, opposed to just the cost savings, you know, all the other things that go with it. And, and that's the level of ideas that comes from these guys mm. who work in construction. You know, it's easy for people who don't work in the industry to look at construction guys and be like, oh, well, you know, they're a bit dirty and a bit messy. And there's some of the cleverest guys you'll ever come across mm. because of the conditions that they work in and the experience that they have.
0: Just and, logical and girls, thinking. Sorry,
1: guys am girls. <laughs> <laughs> just, just thinking
0: logically, you know, just like that doesn't make sense. Why are we doing this this way? Can't, shouldn't make sense doing it this way. Absolutely. So that's like listening to other perspectives, isn't it? And uh, being open yeah. to other perspectives. Is there anything else?
1: Yeah, yeah I think the other one would be um, planning. Planning. So un- understanding, and I'm not just talking about having a program, obviously that's important, mm. but understanding what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to achieve it before you get there. Um, And I mean, obviously we talked a lot about communication anyway, but planning is really important. As much information as you can get into your your head, your drawings, um, saved on your phone so that when you get outside, that you've got in your vehicle when you go out onto site, as much of that information as you can have available to you and and that you're aware of will help. You know, we often go out into these jobs with probably, you know, between two and four weeks notice to Mm -hmm. proceed. So you get out on site and you've never been there before, you've only been once for a site visit, and you now need to suck up everything that you can from the people that have been there all those yeah. years, get that information, communicate that, sorry, get it into a plan and then communicate that so that everybody knows what you're doing. So I think planning mm. is really important in effective yeah. leadership as
0: well. Yeah, talk about different perspectives as well. You don't appreciate that contractors, the people really on the job, probably have only seen the job once before they get on site, designers that have maybe been working on it for a year have probably seen the site half dozens of times have been looking at the detail for such a long time that when a contract comes forward you just can't think well oh, don't you know this one why don't you know this already? come on <laughs> yeah. you've, you've been yeah. on site for a day you don't you <laughs> yeah you've got to understand that different perspective that actually people coming onto the project haven't had uh, as much involvement in detail from this that i have for example um, and yeah. and probably imparting some of okay here's what I've learned over the last year about this site so let's have that conversation yeah. probably in the kickoff meeting or even in a in yeah. the formal around a coffee or whatever so that's yeah really good really good perspective so is there any um, single uh, aspect of leadership which is more important to you
1: I think I, I don't know what I would have said before we had this conversation but I think when you go through what we've talked about in the, the past mm. 30 minutes or so I think communication you know and as I said it's a it's a word that can mean many things and I suppose actually communication is many things across a construction site it can be the notice boards it can be the toolbox talks it can be mm. the daily briefing it can be the management meeting it can be the emails that you receive it can be the phone calls that you get and I think that being able to manage those forms of communication effectively is important and I think it's probably the most important thing in, in effective leadership and managing construction sites and making sure that people understand um, what needs to happen
0: yeah. and and how you communicate as well
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah and, and you know that can be down to things like the tone of your voice um, how confident you are um, and I suppose it's a little bit of horses for courses you know I mentioned standing up in front of those 30 bridge engineers And whilst it was a little bit odd, i delivered inductions probably every day for two months prior to it. So I had no issues with my confidence, I've got no concerns standing up in front of a group of people. Mm -hmm. Others may, so they may choose different forms of communication to get their message across in the same way that I would maybe just by standing in front of a group of people and talking. Mm -hmm. One of the most effective ways of communicating a safety message that I found, and it's something that we did with Lagan, was actually doing something practical and getting people involved. Um, mm-hmm. We did a couple of different safety meetings where we did a, a risk assessment on Santa coming down the chimney,
0: which was <laughs>
1: obviously quite funny um, and then we did some practical um, safety assessments where we actually went around um, an excavator and a sweeper and a truck and we had a look at the blind spots and we looked at where the, the safety concerns were and they were led after discussion by, um, for example, the driver of the excavator. He actually showed people what he can see through yeah. the mirrors they were able to sit in the machine and look so it's understanding um, That's what worked well yeah, yeah.
0: again because uh, from a designer's perspective sat in the office you try to come up with a construction phase plan but i've never sat in a digger myself i've never really you know been on site to that level of detail i've you know been on site seen people pour concrete etc but yeah. getting that other perspective and in that format in that way of communicating rather than sitting down in the classroom and seeing on a bunch of slides actually physically getting out there and seeing it sounds like it would make a massive impact and change the way you approach that situation so that that sounds
1: brilliant it is, and it, it really sort of uh, gives a positive culture because, you know, you're going out there, you're doing things for the guys and you're getting them involved. They're, they're not hearing it from you because you're the manager. They're hearing it from yeah. the people that are actually doing the job as well. And it does make all the difference in, in the way that they then themselves approach safety on site. It, You know, I, I found it had a real positive benefit on what we were doing at Cambridge Airport and beyond, really.
0: Fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Before I wrap this up then, I I just wanted to understand uh, from a more construction side of things, now moving away from leadership, um, where do you see sort of the biggest trends in construction going? Any ideas?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I wrote a few things down when uh, you, because you you said to me about this question before, and of course that's quite a big one. And um, we've talked about WhatsApp actually. I Mm. think social media typically, you know, you and I have stayed in touch over the years via LinkedIn and what have you. Yeah. And um, I think social media is a really interesting trend. WhatsApp on site for me personally, I found it incredibly useful. I can see how it could also be a tricky tool. Mm. Um, and obviously, there are certain sites where you're not allowed to utilize social media to stay in touch and things like you're not allowed phones, but I think social media will be a big part of what we see in the next few years. Um, sustainability you know, mm-hmm. we talk about sustainability a lot. Yeah. What does it really mean? You know, um, are we actively really trying to do a lot now? I again have worked in a lot of aviation projects where we are resurfacing a runway, the latest trend for sustainable asphalt is low temperature.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: haven't yet seen a UK runway that has been resurfaced with a low temperature asphalt because the safety and the risk element of, um, of that sort of thing is, is so... who's going to put the name to it first, you know? Mm. So being able to transfer some of the sustainability trends that we're seeing across the materials and the way that products are mm. delivered into sort of the aviation sector and others I think would be really interesting Mm. and I mean There's two projects, uh, the A14 project uh, which I know because it's just up the road from me um, in Cambridgeshire That was hailed as one of the best construction projects going from sustainability, collaboration, etc. If you read the local media and what have you on it They tell you that they those trees and all the rest of it, you know, so being able to convey what we're actively doing from a sustainability perspective in the industry um, and make sure that that's reflected in the experiences of the people that live near those sites and what have you I think is important and obviously the second one that I mentioned is HS2 that's happening at the moment the sheer level of resource from the industry that's being pushed towards that project mm. and mm. all of the challenges over the next probably 10 years that that is going to um, give the industry i think um, mm. it'll be, int- be interesting to watch um, whether or not i become involved with it is you know <laughs> the future will only see <laughs>
0: yeah i think uh, as civil engineers i think i believe that we actually lead the way in uh, bringing about sustainability in construction yeah. um, and uh yeah i open the floor to anybody that can uh, how can we persuade how can we lead clients uh, i work in the aviation industry so particularly airports into yeah. the more sustainable type materials and but not just in terms of low carbon but in terms of what's going to give best life that kind of yeah. thing you know uh, what we did at um, a particular airport very recently is opted to swap materials from asphalt to concrete because of its better durability. Yeah. the type of traffic was going to be there, it's going to be around a lot longer. Um, it's weighing up the odds uh, that, you know, the pros and the cons uh, in terms of uh, benefits uh, and costs, but long, long-term long costs as well, and um, no, that's brilliant. Well, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure hearing from you today, Brandy. I hope um, you've enjoyed it too. I've certainly learned a lot today. I hope everybody else has as well. Um so yeah, no I really appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: No problem. Thanks Mike. It's been great to speak to
0: you. You too. Take care. Thank, Thank you.
1: you. See you soon.
0: See you.